Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. From the broadcast to the podcast, it is your man DM Cool. And this is Cool Radio. What we doing? Yes, yes, y'all. We are back at it again. We are back at it again. Welcome to another edition of Cool Radio. It is your man, DM Cool. And we got another one for you today. So before I start, let me apologize for not appearing on the air the week before. Had some things to take care of, but I'm back on. You know, I apologize. Shouldn't have left you without a cold pod to step to. I apologize. But nonetheless, we are here now, and we have quite a few things to cover on today's episode. So let me just give you a quick rundown of what we're going to be discussing. Uh, We are going to be discussing the response that Stephen A. Smith has given to Kwame Brown after his week-long tirade of people that he's been meaning to get at for the last 20 years. We're also going to get um, get at, well, not get at, I guess get at would be the wrong terminology to use, but we're going to be discussing Cardi B and her new uh, hosting gig that she will be having later on in the summertime. And also, Bow Wow versus Soldier Boy was confirmed earlier this week by Swiss Beats for another versus battle. So we're going to get into that and see who would win in a battle between those two. But before we get to all of that, you guys already know that I have some things to get off of my chest. So on that note, I think it's time to let that ish breathe. Let this bitch breathe. Indeed, indeed, indeed. So by now, you already know that I'm a huge hoops fan. I love basketball, ball is life. And I am, for the most part, enjoying this year's NBA playoffs. We actually have some fans in the stands. I hope The majority of these people, at the very least, are vaccinated. So if they are, then good for them for enjoying the festivities. And having fans in the stands really makes a difference. It makes it like it feels like playoff basketball, especially for the New York versus Atlanta series. Madison Square Garden, like, listen, I know I I rag on Knicks Knicks fans from time to time. I've done it before in the past. But I got to say, them being so vocal and so passionate about what's going on, it it brings joy to my heart just knowing that we have that type of fan involvement and what have you. Now, there there have been some shitty fan moments, you know, that we've experienced already. You know, whether it's people dumping popcorn on people's heads or people spitting at players and what have you. It's not cool. Like, y'all are scumbags for doing that. And for the people who are saying, oh, these players are babies, then you're part of the problem as well. So go screw yourselves if that's how you feel. But nonetheless... Um, amidst all the uh, fan drama that we've been receiving, just, you know, I wouldn't say minor, but I'm saying minor in terms of cases, in terms of numbers of cases. Um, I'm, I, I will say that it's been a welcome delight to have the fans back in the stands. But we're not here to talk about the fans specifically. No, we are here to talk about a player specifically and the team that he is currently playing on right now specifically. And I am talking about... 
former Raptor Kawhi Leonard. Now, the main reason why I'm discussing Kawhi Leonard is because of the fact that him and the Los Angeles Clippers, not the Lakers, but the Clippers, the B team to the Lakers, a.k.a. L.A. Arway, a.k.a. Crenshaw, these guys, before the end of the season, they decided that they wanted to drop a few spots down so that they wouldn't have to match up with the Lakers so early in the playoffs. They decided that they wanted to drop down so that they could match up with the Dallas Mavericks because they figured since they had a good run against the Mavericks last year in the playoffs, in the bubble specifically, that they can probably replicate that same success again. But herein lies the problem. By purposely dropping down a spot or two to go against the Mavericks in the playoffs, first of all, you pissed them off and made them think that they weren't even worthy of being a, uh, a worthy challenge. And number two, these more or less aren't the same Mavericks from last year. Of course, Luka is back. Of course, Kristaps uh, Porzingis is back. Healthy, if I may add. But this is a team that's a bit more hungry now. And the fact that you basically said that they weren't worth anything by dropping down a few spots on purpose so you can match up with them. Oh, they're making you eat your words right now. And I'm laughing because the first two games, Luka was having their way with them. Like, it was literally Luka magic. And he was talking trash to Patrick Beverly, which touched my heart because I hate that guy. And he was cussing at them in English. He was cussing at them in his native Slovenian tongue. I don't know if that's the exact language of Slovenia. If it's not, then I apologize. But nonetheless, I love the fact that he was cursing at them in his native tongue. He's doing the most, and I loved it. Now, to Kawhi's credit, he played very well on his part, offensively. Defensively, I figured since he's one of, if not the best perimeter defender in the entire league, that he would cover the best player on the opposing team. I mean, he did that for the Raptors a couple times last year in the playoffs. He covered Giannis last, or not last year, two years ago. My apologize. Speaking of which, I will talk on that a little bit later. He did that with Giannis two years ago. And Giannis, in my opinion, is a much more difficult defensive assignment to have. So why not do that with Luka, who is not as athletic? And obviously, Kawhi has the strength the strength component working in his favor. And if not Kawhi, then what about Paul George? He's also a premier wing defender in the league, yet neither one of those two have committed to him fully in these last three games. Now, I was watching the game yesterday, and as of this podcast recording, it is Saturday, and I thought I was going to party like it was 1999, but apparently the Clippers decided that, you know, that we now have a sense of urgency and now we're, we're going to play like our lives depend on it, which they did. But I still have the Mavericks winning the series just because I'm petty. Now, you're probably asking, why are you petty, Daniel? Mr. DM Cool, why is it that you have such contempt for Kawhi Leonard right now? He won your city a championship two years ago. I'm not denying that. In fact, I commend him and I applaud him for doing so. He did in one season what many Raptors hopefuls did not do in multiple seasons, which was bring the Larry OB north of the border. He did that and I always have a level of respect for him on that. Where he falls off for me 
is the fact that he did not want to come back for at least one more year to run it back. In NBA history, for as long as I've been watching basketball at the very least, I have never known a player to win a championship and then a month later say that he's going to a different team. The only times I've seen anything remotely close to that is if a player wins a title, but then he retires. You ride off into the sunset. That makes sense. We've seen that with Michael Jordan. We've seen that with David Robinson. We've seen that with a handful of others. We've seen other players go into the NBA Finals, but then they lost. And then they decided to sign with another team or get traded to another team, whatever the case may be. But that's because they lost. So I get that. But to win a championship while you're still in the prime of your career and then to go to another team? Mm, that did not sit well within my soul. But despite that, I wasn't fully bitter. I wasn't fully petty. I actually wished him the best in, in, in L.A. I really did. I even said, anyone but Lakers. But then, as the season went along, I noticed the, uh, the miscreants that he was playing alongside. He's playing alongside Patrick Beverly, which I mentioned earlier. He's playing alongside one of the Morris twins. I don't remember whether it was Marcus or Markeith, but it doesn't matter either way because the Morris twins are trash. He is playing alongside Reggie Jackson. Woo. He was playing alongside Jamichael Green. Woo. Their center was Michael Zubach. Woo. And their owner is a very eccentric individual by the name of Steve Ballmer, who looks like he pops five mollies a day. Popped a molly and I'm sweating. Woo! There was nothing to this team that made me want to like them. But I said, you know what? It was Kawhi's decision. He never intended on saying that he was going to stay with the Raptors. This was never his first destination. I kept telling that to myself, just to be like, you know what? Can't be bitter towards the man. Can't. Cannot do it. And, he, and when he did play with the Raptors, he actually did try. He put up historical playoff numbers that we haven't seen since Jordan. So I can't, I can't hate on the man. I mean, him and Siakam together had the second highest point total combination in NBA, history, in NBA playoff history. Only second behind LeBron and D. Wade in one of those years that they <clears throat> made it to the finals and then tied with Jordan and Pippen. That's a very good company to be in. So I tried to maintain some objectivity into the entire equation of it all. But then, but then certain details were being revealed. It was revealed that there was a scout at every home Raptors game that was from the Clippers who was monitoring Kawhi. And we're in this era of, you know, tampering and this is tampering and that's tampering, you know, Rappers who are aligned with certain teams who are conversing with players is considered tampering. Players having dinner with one another off the court can be seen as tampering. Yet we're ignoring the, oh, well, hold on. Even before I get to that point, you know, a coach complimenting a player from another team is seen as tampering. But you're trying to tell me 
that a scout from a team that has eyes on a particular player who will be a free agent in the following summer is not tampering? That's not tampering? I mean, I'm not saying there should be a restraining order, but you can't tell me that a scout from an opposing team who has come to every single home game, which is 41 games, is not tampering? What are we doing? So that was my first flag. I didn't blame that on Kawhi, but that was my first flag that made me want to raise an antenna or two, okay? And then, you know, there are whispers of, I think it was Doc Rivers who was, allegedly trying to replicate plays that Nick Nurse had designed for Kawhi and the Raptors to use against certain teams. For example, the boxing one. And I'm just like, okay, that's not a Kawhi thing. But again, raising my antennas. And then, you know, the fact that we kept on hearing, you know, potential trade rumors of, you know, trying to lure in Kyle Lowry and stuff like that. I'm just like, you had Kyle Lowry on the Raptors. Why I just stay in Toronto if that's who you wanted? But again, this is all alleged talk. I'm not trying to cast any aspersions on him until anything is confirmed. But then, but then, this is where we get into the crux of everything. It was reported by Josh Lewenberg who is the beat reporter for the Raptors, who also represents TSN, who is more or less the equivalent to Adrian Wojnarowski, a.k.a. Woj, that Kawhi told Masai Ujiri that the Raptors are not good enough to run it back. Let me repeat that one more time. Josh Lewenberg a beat reporter for the Toronto Raptors, who is a very reputable name in basketball in Canada, somewhat to the equivalent of Woj, confirmed that Kawhi told Masai Ujiri that the Raptors were not good enough to run it back. And this was confirmed after the Clippers had lost to the Denver Nuggets in the playoffs last summer. And not only did they lose to them, but they blew a 3-1 series lead and got blown out in the seventh game. The seventh. The do or die game where you're supposed to put it all on the line. And they shat themselves. But that's the team that you chose to go to. That's a team that you said had a better shot at winning an NBA championship than the Toronto Raptors, a team that you had just won a championship with a month prior. You said that they weren't good enough to run it back, yet you chose a franchise who has shown an ineptitude of being competitive for the last, I'm going to say, 40 years, ever since they moved from San Diego to LA and all they've ever been known for is being the little brothers of the Los Angeles Lakers and being the cheap president's choice great value option for any ticket buyer who wants to attend a basketball game that cannot afford Lakers tickets that's you 
That's your team. You chose Patrick Beverly over Kyle Lowry. You chose an up-and-coming, rising all-star in Pascal Siakam over an inconsistent Paul George, a.k.a. Playoff P. More like Pandemic P. Speaking of which, if you ever want to get your game back consistently to where it was before, you may need to take a vaccine, bruh. He chose Zubach over Serge Ibaka, but then he later lured Serge Ibaka into signing a contract with them. Asshole. <laughs> you you chose you know what this guy did <laughs> this guy had let a, forget a city he had an entire country eating from the palm of his hand he had realtors all over the city basically offering him free room and board like he won a friggin' scholarship at an ivy league school he had buyers or condo owners and leasers saying, you want this condo, it's yours. You want this penthouse, it's yours. Remember Kawhi and Dine? Kawhi and Dine was a thing. He could eat anywhere for free for life. He was given the keys to the city at the championship parade. He had Canada. Canada. At the palm of his hands, at his fingertips, Canada was ready to give him the world, it seems. He could have had Canada, but instead he chose Compton. Who does that? You chose clean water and fresh evergreen trees over the gutter. You could have had red wine and prime rib, but you chose Bloods and Crips. The minute that report came out, my mentality was F Kawhi. I'm sorry. It was F Kawhi at that point. I gave him chances throughout the year. Every little murmur and rumor I heard, I was like, you know what? It's not confirmed. Yeah, give him the benefit of the doubt. And I was even saying, you know what? I have no issue with Kawhi, but Uncle Dennis, not cool with. But to, but to, to find out that it was Kawhi himself who said that we weren't good enough to run it back? I mean, let's put this into perspective. I know I'm kind of running, I'm kind of running a bit long on this, but just entertain me for a bit, cool cats and cool kittens. Entertain me for a bit. We're talking about a guy who won a championship with the team in the Eastern Conference. And for those of you listening right now who aren't really big on basketball, the Eastern Conference has been the weaker conference between the East and the West for the last 20 years now. In the 90s, it was major. But for the last 20 years, it's been relatively weaker than the, than the, East, than the Western Conference. The top two teams in the East are usually the top two, three or four teams in the, in the NBA as a whole. But then the rest of the conference just kind of pales in comparison. And granted, the top half of the East got better, you know, during the time that we won the championship. But to say that we wouldn't run it back or at least 
make an appearance in the NBA Finals for a second year in a row? That was very possible. That was well within the cards. Think about how well the Raptors did last year in the regular season without Kawhi. We lost Kawhi and Danny Green, but we still won over 50 games. And had it not been for the pandemic, we probably would have at least tied our, our, our win total from, last, from the championship year, which is 58 wins. Granted, we had a better winning percentage, but there's no doubt in my mind that they could have won at least 58 games once again, or even won more with Kawhi. I mean, think about it. Kawhi would have been his all-star self once again. Pascal Siakam, I imagine, would still have become an all-star. I have no doubt in my mind that he would have become an all-star, especially if you're the number two seed in the Eastern Conference. And if he bumps his score into at least 20 a game, we're talking about those two and Kawhi being in the all-star game together as a trio for the first time in Raptors history, having three all-stars represented team. That, could have, that well could have been in play easily, especially if they had the number one seed for sure. We would have achieved all of that, gone into the playoffs, and let's say the playoff bracket was still the same. Let, let's, just, let's just entertain that notion for a second. We go up against the Nets, sweep the Nets like we already did. We go up against the Celtics. We probably would have beat the Celtics in six games instead of having a drag over to seven games. That's my personal opinion. And then we go off and face off against the Miami Heat. That's... I'm guessing that's going to be five games. Six at most. Six at most. And then we meet up in the finals against the LA Lakers. Now, I'm not going to blame this on my Laker hate, but I would like to imagine that the Raptors would have beaten the Lakers. Sure, they probably have arguably the best two players in that series. Arguably. I would say that Kawhi is better than AD, but whatever. But as far as the bench rotation is concerned, oh, it's, it's not even close. It's not even close. Raptors, were, Raptors bench would have slapped the Lakers bench. And we could have been talking about the Raptors going back-to-back like a Drake diss record. Coming into this year, if Kawhi had decided to leave at that point, then okay, you know what? At least he went back-to-back. But we would have been talking about two-time NBA championships. But this guy said that the Lakers, or sorry, the, not the Lakers, but the Clippers were more equipped to win an NBA championship than the Raptors. If he had said that, but then said that he was going to go to the Lakers instead, I'd be like, all right, fine. You're partnering up with LeBron and AD. If you're on a LeBron team, you're going to the NBA Finals at the very least. I could have understood that. I would have hated him for it because he's going to the Lakers. But I would have understood. But to say that we're not good enough to run him back? And you go to the Clippers, where you have Pandemic P, Crackhead Patrick Beverly, Lemon Pepper Lou, Montrez Junkyard Dog Harold. Like, that's your squad? Really? Wow. Okay, then. I think at that point, that, that really should have showed people what kind of intentions Kawhi Leonard had in mind. And it was all just for, you know, being in L.A. And, like, listen, I don't care if he's from L.A. Not every player gets to play for their hometown, their home city. But just wanted to to have the exposure and endorsements and wanted to be known as the king of L.A. and all that bullshit. 
You want to be the king of a city when you could have been the king of a country. A country. And you want to talk about global reach and wanting endorsements. The endorsements would have come your way, bro. Look at how many endorsements Vince Carter got when he was a Raptor. Endorsements out the ass. Endorsements from Nike, from Gatorade, everywhere. And this is the early 2000s we're talking about. Imagine the endorsement. Listen, Vince Carter was getting those endorsements off the strength of a dunk contest. Let alone a championship. Imagine the endorsements that this guy would have dump trucked onto his front lawn as the guy who brought a basketball championship to the city, to the country, the first time it's ever been done. But he wanted to be the king of Compton. He wanted to be the emperor of the Compton Swap House meet. He wanted to be the great uniter between the Bloods and the Crips. That's what he wanted. It's very ironic because of the fact that this week marks the two-year anniversary of Game 6 between the Raptors and the Bucks where they clinched their way into the NBA Finals. Yeah. It was good memory. But knowing that he wants to go (laughs) and represent Compton over Canada, it just kind of sours the whole thing. But hey, it is what it is. I'm looking at my watch and I've gone 25 minutes into this when really I just wanted this to be a 10, maybe 15 minute segment. But I'll cap it off at there. But I ask you all, what do you think about this? Am I being too harsh on Kawhi? Am I being too bitter? Am I petty? Well, I already know I'm petty about it. But is it a bit much? Either way, let me know. Hit me up on all my socials and get in touch with me that way. All right. Now, let's get into the mic check topic of the day. And I'm really happy to do this one because I haven't and I may have to check uh, past episodes but it feels like I haven't done a music-centric segment in a while. Maybe within Trip Talk, but as far as the mic check segment, it's been a minute. And I feel like this one is appropriate to cover at this point in time. So on that note, let me tell you about a post that I saw earlier this week. So it was posted by a popular series called Rap Caviar, where they basically preview a lot of new music from hip-hop artists that not many people may be privy to. And their post was a picture of Mount Rushmore, which we already know and and sounds familiar and what have you. But it was a Photoshop version of, of Mount Rushmore. And they're asking people who they thought should be on the Mount Rushmore for rappers for the last decade. So from 2010 all the way till 2019. So the first three names were obvious that they posted, which were Drake, J. Cole, and Kendrick Lamar. Drake is definitely going to be on there because no other rapper in history has had a run longer than him. He's literally been at the top for an entire decade. He's had multiple number one hits. He's had multiple number one albums, more streams than anyone. Like He's broken records. Like even... Um, I think it was the Billboard Music Awards last week gave him 
the artist of the decade award. Not not rapper of the decade. They, they gave him artist of the decade. So with Drake, I mean, he checks off the pop the pop box basically. Like he's a rapper who is heavily entrenched in, within pop culture and occupies that pop rapper uh, realm. Then you have J. Cole. J. Cole is somebody who comes across as your rapper's favorite rapper, the everyday rapper, the one who is very relatable, someone who has the underground aesthetic in terms of the look and, and the sound of his music, yet he goes platinum with every release. He's the first rapper to go multi-platinum without any features on a single album. He's probably one of the more intimate rappers that, that you'll get to listen to uh, during this decade. And so it makes sense for him to be up on that Mount Rushmore list as well. He definitely covers the the underground uh, category, even though I don't consider him underground because of the fact that he has gone platinum multiple times. But if we're talking about aesthetic and, and sound of his music, then sure, you could put him in that realm as well. And then you have Kendrick Lamar. He is someone who can be seen as an enigma. He is someone who has you know, the, the underground aesthetic in terms of the style of his music, how complex the, the, his lyrical ability is, his delivery, uh, very potent at storytelling and very technical all around. But at the same time, he has found crossover success as well with his music and has been the artist of this generation within rap who hasn't had to conform his sound of rap to make it more palatable to the mainstream. He has made the mainstream and radio come to him. And so he is the perfect bridge between, in my opinion at least, the perfect bridge between the mainstream and the underground. Someone who wants to have that 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 almost traditional rap sound in a sense. I wouldn't say traditional, but someone who wants to hear a traditional MC, so to speak. But then someone who has the ear of the mainstream and people know that if you're going to be listening to Kendrick Lamar, you know that you're in for some type of conversation to be had. So he kind of blends the worlds of pop and underground. So it makes sense for those three to occupy those, those, those lanes within rap, I would say. Now, the question remains, however, who should be the fourth? Who is going to be your fourth rapper in that Mount Rushmore? Because me personally, I just say that you should just leave it at those three. But for the sake of argument, for the sake of this conversation, let's pontificate a little bit, shall we? I've come up with a few names that should be mentioned in the conversation. And then I've mentioned three particular names that should be the three finalists for said conversation. So let me give you the, uh, I guess, the runner-ups at this point. So I said... The runner-ups should be Meek Mill, Big Crit, Big Sean, Chance the Rapper, Nicki Minaj, Childish Gambino, Wale, Mac Miller, and the Migos. So I'm going to go briefly on each rapper as to why I mentioned them in the runner-ups list. So let me start off with Meek Mill. Now, I'm not a fan of Meek Mill. You guys already know that by now, but I try to be as objective as possible. So with Meek Mill, I mentioned him because of the fact that he was one of the few rappers of this decade that I didn't I won't say he brought gangster rap to the mainstream, but he was continuing that trend of keeping gangster rap within the mainstream. So you've had rappers in the past like 50 cents. Rappers in the past, like, 
uh, to Jay-Z more or less to a certain extent, depending on what Jay-Z we're talking about. You've had rappers like DMX have gangster rap in the mainstream, so on and so forth. And I feel as though Meek Mill continued that that pattern. He continued that tradition of having gangster rap in the mainstream, but keeping it on a young, fly and flashy type of basis. So that's why I kept him in there. And I feel like his popularity kind of grew, um, especially after his jail bid. But nonetheless, I digress. Then I put in Big Crit. Now, Big Crit is one of my favorites. And Big Crit is definitely someone who is more of the underground variety. But he is somebody who has the respect of all of his peers. Uh, very underrated, arguably the most underrated rapper of this decade. But he has the respect of his peers. And he really came up in that mixtape era of the 2010s, you know, the, the, the Dat Piff era, as I like to call it, where he was putting out quality mixtapes that sounded like albums. And he was one of the few whom everyone said that every mixtape he put out was a classic, and I can't argue with that. However, he was also one of those artists where his mixtapes sounded better than his albums. And not, that's not to say that his albums didn't sound good. They did. But when you listen to a Big Crim mixtape, Oh, it hits you in your soul. It hits you in your soul. Um, I find it very ironic that he comes from the South because the South is a region within America that dominates hip-hop, whether it's the sound, whether it's the lyrics, whether it's the feel of the music, et cetera, et cetera. And I felt like he was the perfect representative of the South because he can give you the ratchet and he can give you the righteous. But for whatever reason... He just never caught on with the mainstream, which kind of disappoints me. Not because of him, not anything that he did wrong, but the fact that not enough fans were able to kind of gravitate towards his pull. But nonetheless, I felt that his name should be mentioned in this list. Then we have Big Sean. Now, Big Sean's an interesting one because Big Sean, I feel like the greatness of... Drake, of Kendrick, and of Cole put a ceiling on him. <clears throat> Let me explain. So, Jay, or sorry, so Big Sean is a very commercial viable rapper, and he has tried to flip styles here and there. So, as far as his commercial style, he has a style that's been often compared to Drake, but Drake happens to do that commercial style better. He has then been seen to lyrically go crazy from time to time, which is Jake, which is sorry, which is Kendrick Lamar's calling card. But Kendrick does it better. And we've seen that especially when the two make up on tracks together. And then sometimes he's tried to go the socially conscious route, where that could be seen as either Kendrick's or J. Cole's J. Cole's uh, lane. But either Cole or Kendrick do that better than Big Sean. So Big Sean doesn't really have a calling card of sorts. I think his personality is enough for him to stand out. He has like that laid-back demeanor with the, the nasally tone that is perfect for a calm, more melodic type of production. Like if you were to get him on a Neptune's beat, it would sound perfect. But regardless, I think he's done enough to make himself a well-known figure within rap and within the mainstream to a certain extent, which is why I put him in this list. So after him, we have Chance the Rapper. Now, Chance the Rapper is arguably at the top of this list of 
of runner-ups because of the fact that he basically set the standard for this current generation of rappers when it comes to being independent and relying on the internet to get your plays and your streams and, and not having to rely on a record label or the machine, as they say. He set that standard with acid rap and with uh, uh, coloring book. And I feel like that's all that's that's something that you really have to take into consideration because as I was mentioning the mixtape era, the Dat Piff era, it was the streaming era that basically took center stage from 2015 and onward, which subsequently put an end to the mixtape era. And one could argue that at the lead of that charge, not named Drake, was Chance the Rapper, simply because he wasn't being backed by a major label. And he was getting all the fanfare through his following that he had amassed over the internet over, the, over these last few years. So I consider him to be, you know, dead center within the pinnacle of that movement, which is a movement that we are still championing to this day. After him, and mind you, this, this is in no particular order, by the way. I just have it written down. Um, Nicki Minaj, she was probably the first female rapper that we've seen blow up in the mainstream since maybe Lil' Kim. Like, I know, hmm, actually, no, I'm going to say Missy Elliott. Missy Elliott has probably had the strongest mainstream appeal out of any female rapper that I've ever seen. I would say it would be her, Lil' Kim, and then Eve. Eve had, like, a good three-, four-year run, if anything, but yeah, Nicki Minaj took over the mainstream of, of rap for, for female rappers, as far as I'm concerned. So she definitely deserves that spot, just off the basis of that alone, regardless of how you feel about her content. And then we have Childish Gambino. Now, this one was a tricky one because Childish Gambino, over the last few years, has shown that he's not just a rapper. Um, he's shown that he's a screenplay writer. He's shown that he is an actor. He's shown that he's a comedian. And even when it comes to, to music, he's shown that he's not just a rapper. He's shown that he's an R&B singer. He's shown that he can do other genres. I mean, he put out a funk album in 2017. So he's very multi-layered as, as a musician. But nonetheless, he deserves a spot in this list because of the fact that he created a voice for certain listeners who kind of wanted to deviate away from what they saw as typical mainstream rap and became mainstream in the process nonetheless. Then you have Wale. And in my college years, I was a huge Wale fan. Huge Wale fan. What I liked about Wale was the fact that he was able to combine his American hip-hop sensibilities with a worldly sound, him being a first-generation American by way of Nigeria, he had access to different sounds. He had access to Afrobeat. He had access to uh, UK House because he was signed to a UK producer. He had access to Go-Go Music, which is based in the DMV. And Go-Go Music hadn't been prominently heard within hip-hop before. The only taste of that we got was from Crazy in Love from Beyonce and then One Thing from A. Marie. But we never heard of prominently within hip-hop before Wale got to the scene. So he had a very worldly ear, in my opinion. But he just got caught up and wanted to be part of the Black Ratchet crowd, which is what, in my opinion, derailed his career. But nonetheless, still a talented individual. 
Then we have Mac Miller, rest in peace, of course. Uh, Mac Miller, it's very hard to find any rapper who had a problem with Mac Miller. Mac Miller just got along with everyone, it seemed. Very chill, uh, a part of that stoner rap crowd that's always been popular within hip-hop, whether it be Snoop Dogg, whether it be Wiz Khalifa, uh, the Lunas, uh, Smoke Dizza, whomever. He was part of that collective, I found, and and added a very, very refreshing sound to that crowd as well. And then the last one I have up here is Migos, because Migos, ever since Versace, has been popular, and they have never slowed down. One of the few rap groups that we have within rap, to be honest. Like, name another rap group from, at least from this decade, that has been prominent within rap. The only ones I can think of are Run the Jewels, who I think have been around since 2008. So they're more veterans in the game than anything. And then City Girls, which is a two-person group, which I consider a duo, but whatever. Same thing with, with Run the Jewels, but... I don't want to go into semantics. After that, uh, we had Slaughterhouse, again, veteran group. But again, they formulated back in 2007, so I can't really count them in this current decade. Yeah, it's, it's just been Migo, Amigos. It's literally just been Migos. So yeah, I put all these people in there as runner-ups. But if you want to ask me who I feel are the finalists that should be considered for the fourth head in the Mount, in the Mount Rushmore of rap, <coughs> then for me, it has to be one of these three names. It has to be Future, Travis Scott, or Kid Cudi. So I'm going to go in on each r- rapper and discuss why they should be considered as that legitimate fourth member of that Mount Rushmore. So let's start with Future. So say what you want about Future. And um, I got a little something to discuss about him later on in the show. But regardless of how you feel about Future, Future was the top face in trap music. Trap music has been the predominant sound of commercial hip hop for the last decade. You can even say that it made its triumphant crowning within the latter half of the 2000s from 2005 and onward but it's definitely the preeminent sound within hip-hop nowadays you can't go anywhere or listen to any kind of rap that doesn't have 808s and rattling snare drums like trap is the sound of hip-hop regardless of what coast you're coming from north south east west midwest wherever like trap is the sound and future has been the lead of it it's a part of the reason as to why Drake has done, what, one or two projects with him because he wanted to tap into his fan base and Future likewise. He's been, he's been, he's arguably been the king of trap for this entire decade. Mixtape after mixtape, album after album, he has been the face of trap. And you can't mention trap without Future. It's as simple as that. Um, next person I mentioned was Travis Scott. Travis Scott is the rock star of rap, in my opinion. I have heard from countless people that if you go to his shows, you feel like you're at a rock concert. Like, he has mosh pits set up and everything. And he took, in my opinion, the best aspects of Future and the best aspects of Kid Cudi 
rolled it into one and made his own sound and made his own persona out of it. And he's had some of the most critically acclaimed albums that we've had out of this decade from listeners. It may not be critically acclaimed in the same vein as To Pepper Butterfly from Kendrick Lamar or 2014 Four Hills Drive from J. Cole, but within the, the realm that he is occupying, it has been a commercially successful run that he's had as well as a critically acclaimed run that he's had. I listened to... Oh, what was the name of the album? Oh, people are going to kill me if I don't remember the name of the album. It'll, it'll, it, it will probably come to me later on. But anyways, I think it was the album that he came out with. I think it was either 2018 or 2019. And I listened to that album. And I said to myself, and it took me a while to get to that album. I'll be dead honest. It took me a while. But I was listening to that album, and I was like, okay, I think I understand where people are coming from when it comes to Travis Scott. Like, I understand the sound and the vibe that he's trying to go for. Astro World. That's what it was called. Astro World. Thank you. Okay. But yeah, anyways, me, going back to that, um, I understand the sound that he is delivering. I understand what the vibe is like. I get why people are, are following him. I get it. I get it. It took me a while for that album to grow on me, but it, but it eventually did. But yeah, he has this intoxicating sound that is great for concerts. It's great for for outdoor venues. It's great for the party scene. And it just sounds very it just sounds very different from what most rappers are doing with their with their music. Uh would would you consider him a a, a trap rapper? Um I don't think anyone would argue with that. But I would say it's a different kind of trap if that's what we're referring to when it comes to Travis Scott. So because of you know, how he's occupied his own lane and how he's been able to cross over into the mainstream. You know, some people will attribute that to him dating one of the one of the Jenner slash Kardashians. But I think it's even beyond that. I think just dating somebody who's also in the mainstream just kind of increases your star power in general, no matter whether it's music, whether it's it's film, whatever the case may be. But regardless, I think he's done more than enough to solidify himself as a mainstream commodity within rap and within music altogether. And then the final person I have on here is Kid Cudi. Kid Cudi. <clears throat> Let me tell you something about a man named Cudi. When we're talking about this generation of rap, the one that likes to sing and harmonize over their vocals and what have you, a lot of people critique Drake for it. And I get why. But let it be known that for at least this generation, Kid Cudi was the archetype behind that. Kid Cudi was the architect behind that sound. That sound, we have known Kid Cudi to do that sound since he dropped Day and Night in 2007. Mind you, that song, and it probably still holds a record to this day, has the most plays in MySpace history. Yeah, that MySpace. That was the thing back in the day. It has the most plays in MySpace history. And this was before he was signed to good music. And that sound was so popular that it spawned a ton of remixes in multiple genres. And it was enough to that point where Kanye not only signed him to good music, but basically took his sound and crafted 808s and Heartbreaks. 
That is a Kid Cudi album in every sense of the word. He literally took Cudi's sound and made a pop album out of that. <clears throat> and then we had the Man on the Moon album that came out like a year later, basically. Now, I think he's been a little inconsistent over, over the past decade and what have you, but nonetheless, I feel as though, you know, his name should be mentioned in that list of finalists that we're talking about when it comes to when it, when it comes to the Mount Rushmore of rappers of the last decade. And if you were to ask me out of all these three artists, I would give it to Kid Cudi. And I'm not even that big of a fan of Kid Cudi. I'm just giving you my objective take because had it not been for this sound that he brought into rap for this decade, and keep in mind, he's not the only rapper who's harmonized in his raps over the years. There's been plenty of others. But if it weren't for him making it such a commodity within this generation of rap, then there are so many rappers that we wouldn't have gotten to this day, whether it's new ones or rappers who have been in the scene for the last decade or so. He was the architect behind that sound. I remember the issue of GQ magazine where him, Wale, and Drake were named GQ Men of the Year when it came to rap. And they were occupying their own lanes. But my oh my have times have changed. I definitely think it's Kid Cudi. I think it's Kid Cudi. Kid Cudi should be that fourth member. I think it fits. You have Drake that occupies you know, the, the pop realm. You have... J. Cole, who gives you that traditional rap realm, so to speak, the, the MC realm, so to speak. You have Kendrick Lamar, who gives you, you know, the complex lyrics and schemes, but at the same time has that mainstream appeal to him as well. And then you have Kid Cudi, who serves as an alternative for, for rap fans and for fans of other genres of music that you can blend in together. I think those four fittingly should be seen as the Mount Rushmore of this past decade. Now, do y'all agree with me on that? Am I going loco on that? Do I have a point? Should Travis Scott and Future respectively be given more consideration? Either way, I'm curious to know what you guys think on that. Hit me up on all my socials and let me know. Okay, let's get into Trip Talk now. So Trip Talk is comprised of three of the hottest topics that took over hip-hop and pop culture as a whole. So with that, let's get to it. So first topic that I want to discuss is the war of words between Stephen A. Smith and former NBA player Kwame Brown. Now, Kwame Brown, over the last couple of weeks now, has been on a tear. So for those of you, first and foremost, for those of you who don't know who Kwame Brown is, let me, get, let me give you some insight on who he is. <clears throat> so back in 2001, he was drafted out of high school uh, as the first overall pick in the 2001 draft to the Washington Wizards basketball team in the NBA. And at the time, Michael Jordan was not only a part owner of that team, but that was also the team that he decided to go play for coming out of retirement for the second time in his career. So he drafted, and he was part of that brain trust that drafted him number one overall, straight out of high school, straight out of high school. And he ended up playing in the NBA for about 13 years. Now, during his time in the NBA, he wasn't that good of a basketball player. He, and 
that was highlighted mainly because of the fact that he was the number one overall pick. And when you're the number one overall pick in the NBA draft, you are slated at the very least to become an all-star. Some people may even see superstar potential within you if you are a number one pick. So there's a lot that comes with getting uh, selected as the number one overall pick. Some players live up to it. Some players shouldn't have even been drafted at number one. And my personal opinion, he should not have been drafted at number one. Now, mind you, that year's draft was not the greatest draft at all. In fact, I think it only produced one all-star, and that was Pau Gasol. But I'd have to do a bit more research and see if I'm completely correct on that. But I don't remember that draft being particularly ripe with plentiful all-stars of the future. But I digress. So Kwame Brown has been a bit of a running joke over the last decade, I would say. And so many people have made jokes on him, especially Stephen A. Smith, with the way he pronounces his name. Rather than just saying it in a normal tone like Kwame Brown, he goes off and says, Kwame Brown. Like He just says it like a joke, basically. So he has called him Kwame Brown and has also called him most notably a bona fide scrub. His words, not mine. So he has gone out of his way to call him a bona fide scrub. And it's been a long-running joke that he's had. It's particularly as to one of the main reasons why Stephen A. Smith has been a popular figure on sports television. So anyways, he's made jokes on him. Other people have made jokes on him as well. Uh, People like Jamel Hill have made jokes on him, I guess. Uh, People, well, okay, I'll say this. I don't know if she's made jokes on him, but she has at the very least commented on his basketball skills. So she's commented on his basketball skills. Um... Steven Jackson and, well, uh, the, wow, I'm forgetting this guy's name. Steven Jackson and, whoa, why am I forgetting this guy's name? Crap. Okay. Basically, the two hosts of the All The Smoke podcast, who also used to be former NBA players, have commented on his basketball skills as well. Steven Jackson and... The guy who looks like El DeBarge. I can't. Why am I forgetting this guy's name? It, anyways, it'll probably come back to me as I start talking. But anyways, they've made comments on it. Charlamagne the God made comments on, on, on Kwame Brown. And the funny thing was, he was not trying to be offensive towards Kwame Brown, but he actually was being offensive. And we'll get to that later. But anyways, everyone or as many people as you can think of has taken shots on on this guy, Matt Barnes, thank you, Matt Barnes, Matt Barnes, Matt Barnes, Stephen Jackson, the host of the All The Smoke podcast, there we go, all right, sorry, anyways, a lot of people have taken shots at Kwame Brown, and to my surprise, Kwame Brown has never said a word during his NBA career, or even the days after his career was done, he hasn't played basketball in about, I want to say seven years, give or take, Professionally, I should say. So it came to as a surprise that for the last couple of weeks, he just loaded up his clip and he started getting at everyone. It's almost like he made a hit list over the last seven years or so. At the very least, at the very least, for all we know, this hit list could have been could have been created during his playing years in the NBA. But nonetheless, it's like he dug up his hit list and decided to take shots. Now that he has, I guess, nothing to lose, maybe. But he was taking shots at everyone. He took shots at Jamel Hill. He took shots at, at, at Matt Barnes, 
at Stephen Jackson, at Stephen A. Smith, at plenty of people. And we're all wondering, yo, where is this coming from? And he's saying a lot of things. He's saying a lot of personal things. But then he also says how, you know, people like these individuals don't support black people and they're very negative towards the black community. In some aspects, I agree with that. Um, More towards Stephen A. Smith, but I'll get to that later on. And I was like, man, this guy is, he's going at everyone. So everyone, you know, responds back. And and they and they just say, hey man, it was all about basketball. Matt Barnes said he wanted to challenge him to a fight, but he's always looking to fight anyone, to be honest. Um, Charlemagne the God responded and he apologized because when Charlemagne the God was speaking on him, he spoke about his family, talking about how and I don't think he he, he was trying to do it in a disrespectful way. He was basically saying how he would never talk trash about um, Kwame Brown because of the fact that. He has family members who are in jail and who have done some nefarious activities and stuff like that. And he he doesn't want to be on the wrong end of those things. So he apologized for revealing all those personal things about Kwame Brown and his family. Because even though those things were on public record, a lot of people, including myself, did not know that. And there was no reason to expose any of that. He could have just left it at, you know what, I'm not going to say anything about Kwame Brown. I'm not going to do it. Not gonna catch you doing that. Why? You don't need to know why. Just know that I'm not gonna say anything about him. That's all you had to say. Literally all you had to say. And for the people who know, would have known what he was talking about. For others, they may have had to d- dig up some stuff on the internet, and that's that. Now, let's get to Stephen A. Smith. Stephen A. Smith decided to respond to Kwame Brown, and he decided to be all theatrical about it because this is Stephen A. Smith we're talking about. Stephen A. Smith is Hollywood at this point. He's he's drama. He's very eccentric. He's, he's almost like borderline shock jock at this point. But nonetheless, he decides to give his take on Kwame Brown and decided to talk about primarily his basketball skills and lack thereof and say that was the main reason why he was getting at him. And he was saying how, you know, this whole thing of me answering to answering to you or responding to you is beneath me but guess what you have my attention now as if you weren't going to respond to him anyway like come on bro and then he decides to have his editors compile a high or a low light reel of all of quiet of not quiet of uh kwame leonard's uh blunders within basketball him fumbling the ball him not being a good shooter him making some low iq mistakes things of that nature and even when he wanted to address the point that kwame brown made about him um demeaning black men and people within the black community he didn't even answer that he's like please 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 that is blasphemous. He didn't say that, but yeah, that's typical Stephen A. Smith jargon right there. So here's the thing. I relay all that to say this. I would say that in some cases, Stephen A. was right, but in some cases he was wrong. Now, was he right about Kwame Brown being a bad basketball player? Yes, he was. But where he was wrong is that he went out of his way to make fun of Kwame Brown at every twist and turn. Yes, we get that he's the that he was a former number one overall pick of the NBA draft, and he didn't live up to his expectations as a number one pick, and because of that, he is deemed a bust. Now, I would argue that that may be the case. I would argue that he shouldn't have been selected at number one in the first place. You don't control 
whether at, at what spot you get selected. You just don't. And him coming out of high school, especially with a lot of raw talents or just raw skills in general, had no business being selected as the number one overall pick. He just shouldn't have been. He just shouldn't have been selected. Um, a, an extra year or two within college would have done him wonders in my imagination. Um, and it probably would have led into being maybe like a number 10 pick and just as like a, a rotation piece. And even if it, the career still panned out the same way it did, we wouldn't be talking about Kwame Brown or anything like that. We wouldn't be. We'd just be saying he's a random guy who played in the NBA and that was it. All right. When it comes to Kwame Brown, I feel like when you're a bust in the league, to me, you're like a full-fledged bust as a number one pick if you're only in the league for about five years and then you end up playing overseas or something like that. In my opinion, that is a true bust. Is he a bust to a certain extent? Yes. But the fact that he lasted 13 years in the NBA without even having getting called down to the G League, mind you, shows that there were other teams who had use of whatever skill set he had that they were looking for on their roster. He made $70 million in a 13-year career. I'd say that's pretty good. Was he the best basketball player? Far from it. But would, I, but would I chalk him up to the bust that Stephen A. Smith makes him out to be? No. I think Andrea Bargnani is an even bigger bust than, than, than um, Kwame Brown. Because the moment he got traded to Toronto, he became an NBA journeyman. And, and before you knew it, he was back to Italy. Would I call Anthony Bennett a bust? Yeah, because not only was he out of the league within five years, but he never worked on his game and he never worked on his health as well. He was always out of shape every year of the season and it just caught up to him in the end. So he's definitely a bust. Would I call Andrew Wiggins a bust? No. And the reason why I wouldn't call him a bust is because despite the fact that he as well was a number one overall pick and despite the fact that he has yet to live up to any all-star expectations at the very least, for his career, he's averaged about 17 points a game. I can't call that a bust. Did he? Is he performing below expectations? Yes, but the fact that he's, he's averaged 17 a game over his career and has only played for two teams in his career thus far at this point, I can't call him a bust. Did he play below expectations? Yes. Could he be better? Yes. But a full-out bust? I'm going to say no. So there are other players that Stephen A can harp on, and I think he just spent too much time harping on Kwame Brown. Now, Kwame uh, mentioned that... Stephen A and other people that he was getting at just demean black people and put black people down, what have you. Now, I would say no if you're just talking about the sport itself. Like, if you are commenting on somebody's skill level or lack thereof in proper context, then I'm not going to call that putting a black person down because you can't use the, 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 the crutch of race to basically counter against somebody's point about you not being good at a sport because that has nothing to do with your race. Like if you can't accept criticism about how you play a game or how you can't play a game, then you can't use the race card as a way to say, oh, you're demeaning black people because you're disrespecting me and my family. You can't call it disrespecting you and your family if you're just solely talking about the game of basketball. Solely about the game of basketball. So that's all I'll say about that from a macro standpoint, just from a general standpoint. But if we're talking about Stephen A. Smith, and if we're talking about how Kwame Brown has claimed that Stephen A. Smith has demeaned black people, then I can agree with Kwame Brown because Stephen A. Smith, and I've been upset with him at this point before, has demeaned black people and has dismissed whatever point he was trying to make in order 
to suffice whatever point that he is trying to trying to project when it comes to a racial standpoint. For example, I remember there was one time when he was getting at J.R. Smith for being all sulky and mopey on the bench because he didn't perform well. And he made a big deal about Smith wearing his hoodie. And then out of nowhere, Stephen A. Smith ha- said how the NBA shouldn't have commissioned hoodies because it would make white people scared about the whole Trayvon Martin situation and how it would remind them of that. And I was like, wait, what? So first and foremost, a hoodie is proper gym attire. It's become a fashion statement over time, but lots of things have become fashion statements over time, like army fatigue. So if somebody's wearing army fatigue, then does that mean that they are making fun of the troops or that they are, they are basically making a mockery out of U.S. servicemen and women. But we're out here talking about how a hoodie is going to scare white people into thinking about the Trayvon Martin situation again. So I think that's very disrespectful to black people. And I think it's disrespectful towards J.R. Smith to mock him on that. Not for his basketball skills, but to mock him for wearing a hoodie. And keep in mind, I'm not a J.R. Smith fan at all. But watching that or catching that made me feel very uneasy to say the least. So there is that. And then afterwards, he has made comments about domestic abuse. He's made comments about about politics that kind of rubbed me the wrong way when it it came to how how black people should, should, should conduct themselves. Almost coming across as saying, you know, being a black Republican is good and, you know, you should be a black. And listen, if you want to be a black Republican, that's fine. But you don't have to denigrate uh, an entire congregation of black people to, to try and make your point. So he has disrespected black people in the past in that regard. And I also found it troubling that he has gone on university tours making fun of Kwame Brown. And I'm like, dude. It's one thing where you're doing it on first take on a national platform, but now you're just adding insult to injury by going to schools and having tours on making fun of Kwame Brown. Like, what has this man done to you? You know, it's almost like when Shaq used to do the Shaq to the Fool segment and he used to have JaVale McGee on every single highlight reel. And and I get it. JaVale McGee is a very, well, in the past at least, was a very low IQ basketball player. I get it. But it just gets to a point where enough is enough. It's like you've ran the joke into the dirt. We've had our last. Let, let's move on to something else. So I feel like that's where I'm at with Stephen A. Smith. And I feel as though he kind of needs to cool it at that point. I mean, he has over the years. But the, the whole diatribe that he went on afterwards was like, oh, Kwame Brown. Huh? You got my attention now. It's like, dude, like you're not a wrestler. You're not doing an acting spot on a soap opera series. You are supposed to be a journalist and an analyst for a reputable company. Like, start acting like it, you know? Like, enough with the wrestling persona. I have WWE for that. But, yeah, that's pretty much what I wanted to uh, discuss on Stephen A. Smith and... Kwame Brown I do feel like Kwame Brown was getting at people a little too hard and I get it you're mad you've been mad for the last 20 years that people have been speaking ill of your name because you're a basketball talent but some of that does fall on you as a basketball player so if you don't want people to speak of you in in that manner when it comes to basketball then you gotta you gotta get better as a basketball player it's as simple as that 
But I do understand where he's coming from, where so many people are just like shitting on his name when there have been worse number one overall draft picks in NBA history. And you seem to be getting the brunt of it. So I do understand that point. But overall, it was definitely messy. It was definitely a lot of TB spilt. And we'll see what comes out of it. But anyways, as you already know, I want to know what y'all think. Hit me up on all my socials and let me know what your take on the situation is. Okay, speaking of WWE, actually, I didn't even realize it. That that was a very good segue. But speaking of WWE, Cardi B has announced a partnership with WWE. And that partnership comes in the form of her hosting one of their main annual events, which is known as SummerSlam. So she will be the host of SummerSlam this year. Uh, WWE announced that they will be allowing fans in attendance uh, over the summer. And they have already done so when they hosted their annual event, WrestleMania, which is basically their version of the Super Bowl. So they did that in Tampa, and that was the original location of where it was supposed to be last year until the pandemic happened. But uh, this year they had it, went off without a hitch, and this year they will be having SummerSlam, which is another one of their major events uh, of the year, and they'll be having Cardi B as their host. So I think that's a good look for Cardi. She's crossing over into another fan base. She's very well known within pop culture, as we already know. So, you know, that's going to be a good look for her. Um, And my take on it is, you know, cool, it's fine. Um... I'm not really into Cardi B like that, but hey, you know, I'm not knocking on the hustle. I'm not knocking on the on the come up. Uh, I'm a fan of WWE, so I'm curious to see how she'll do. Um, I do like it when celebrities get to interact with WWE when it comes to the wrestlers, when they get into the ring. We saw that earlier this year at WrestleMania with Bad Bunny, and he used that as a launching pad to announce his tour for next year, I believe, which is very good marketing and kudos to him because he actually uh, practiced at their performance center to get ready for the eventual tag match that he would have at WrestleMania. So it was pretty cool to watch. It's probably one of the best celebrity spots that I've seen in a very long time. So good on him for that. I don't expect Cardi B to get in the ring. I'm sure she's going to have a few backstage segments. She's going to get on the mic to open up uh, the show. And that'll be that. That's what I'm assuming. My preference when it comes to celebrity hosts for whether it be wrestlemania or SummerSlam or anything wwe related is if the fans actually have some sort of knowledge of the product if they were fans of the product growing up so we've seen that with shaquille o'neal we've seen that with snoop dogg we've seen that with michael strahan we've seen that with bad bunny we saw that with john stewart a couple years ago I like it when we when we have a knowledgeable celebrity who's a fan of the product and that way their interaction with the wrestlers and with the crowd is much more organic. I hate it when we just have celebrities a part of the thing just to get a quick paycheck and they're in one or maybe two segments at best and that's that. I've seen that before. I'm not a fan of that and I'm hoping that's not the case for Cardi B. I don't know her to be a wrestling fan. That would be a shock to me. And if she does actually interact with the wrestlers and, and what have you, then great. I'm here for it. I'm definitely here for it. But if it's just a quick paycheck thing, then there are other celebrities that you could have used for that. But we'll see. Um, should be interesting. And I'm looking forward to seeing what that what that brings. That's all I got on that. That's really all I got on that. There's not a big spiel. You guys already know. It is what it is. So let's keep it moving on to the next topic now. This one I'm a bit more interested in, and it's of the versus variety. So we're going from wrestling to 
I guess, music wrestling, if you want to call it. Um, Bow Wow and Soldier Boy. They are confirmed to be the next versus battle as per Swiss Beats. So they announced this a couple of weeks ago that they would be facing off against each other. But that was more of a rumor. But now it's actually confirmed by Swiss Beats himself that that would be the next up and coming battle. So I'm curious to see that. I'll, I'll definitely sit in and watch that because Bow Wow and Soldier Boy both have a ton of hits to their name. Me, personally, I think Bow Wow has a bit more hits to his name, but I think his hits collection is a bit more top-heavy than Soldier Boy. Because Bow Wow became a big name in 2000. Yeah, 2000. And then he was making hits up until, I want to say, 2008. And from then on, you didn't really hear too much from him. He got more focused into acting and what have you. Whereas Soldier Boy, his career basically got started as Bow Wow was kind of blending in more towards Hollywood. So Soldier Boy came into the scene in 2007 and then was crafting out hits up until, I don't know, maybe like 2013, 2014, maybe, if I could guess. So between them, they have about seven years of hits to their names. So it's almost like we're going from one generation to another, like from one you know, teen sensation to another. So I'm very curious to see how this battle is going to pan out. They've already been taking shots at each other. And it's all in good fun because, you know, who doesn't like to take shots at somebody they're about to go up against? And uh, yeah, it should be some interesting stuff. So we'll see what's going to transpire out of that. Again, I still have, uh, sorry, not Soulja Boy. I still have Bow Wow winning this. Maybe that's the early 2000s of me speaking, but I think Bow Wow is going to have this battle. But I think it will be a close battle nonetheless. I am going to say, in fact... That it will be a score. I'm trying to remember how the score system goes. It's 10 songs each. So I am going to say that it will be a score of. Hmm. I want to say a score of. I'm trying to do the math right now. Let's say. I'm going to say maybe 12 8 to Bow Wow. Yeah, 12-8, maybe like 11-9 to nine Bow Wow or 12-8 to Bow Wow. I think, you know what? No, let me go to 11-9. I'm going to say 11-9 to Bow Wow. I'm going to say 11-9 to Bow Wow, and then we'll, we'll see how it goes. But I think that would be the more accurate score, 11-9 Bow Wow, because I think it'll be very close between those two. But we'll see. We'll see. I think it should be an interesting battle. My favorite quote-unquote battle thus far uh, was Method Man and Red Man, and that one wasn't really a battle because they are frequent collaborators, and I wasn't even keeping track of who got more, who was banging out more hits. To me, it was just a celebration of 420, and they were just banging out their classic records together, and it made me just want to go to a Method Man and Red Man concert, to be honest. Um, and then the last one that we had was Escape versus SWV. I totally missed that one. I heard SWV won that, you know, just by, you know, fan, fan um, reaction. But I heard Escape got busy in like that first half, basically. So um, you never know how these things are going to turn out. But I say Bow Wow wins 11-9. But what do y'all think? Let me know, of course. I'm very curious to get your opinion on that. And we shall see. Uh, a date has not been confirmed for that as of yet. But it will be happening. And now to end off the show, you guys already know what it is. Let me, let me not waste any time with that. Who has entered the shallow walls of the Hall of Shame this week. 
who has been crowned the captain of coonery this week. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for a wankster of the week. And this week's wankster goes to none other than Future. Now, remember when I told you in the past that Future would be mentioned later on in the future of this episode? Well, the future is now, and the future is a wankster. And the reason why Future is a wankster, that means two things, is because of the fact that in a new record that he featured on alongside the rapper 42 Doug, entitled Maybach, he took subliminal shots at Steve Harvey, his ex-girlfriend that he also dated, who was also Steve Steve Harvey's stepdaughter, Lori Harvey, and Lori Harvey's new current boyfriend, Michael B. Jordan. I still question that relationship, but hey, that's on him. Anyways, I digress. He took shots at them in a, in a, in a, in a lyric, and the lyric goes as followed, and I quote. <coughs> he says, Magic City, I'm the owner. Tell Steve Harvey I don't want her. Must have forgotten to tell her daddy she begged me not to leave. Put baguettes on your ankles damn near up to your knees. She didn't have a choice but to go F a lame after me. Realist nigga hit that twat. She damn near OD'd. So he's basically saying that I left Lori Harvey and she's still begging for me. She's dating a lame. And him telling Steve Harvey that he doesn't want her. That's basically what it comes down to. Now, here's the thing with, with Future, and I'm giving him the wankster because of how petty he's being. And you guys know me. I enjoy a good, playful Betty. Playful Petty. But when you're being vindictively petty, then that's when I do not rate it. I don't, I don't give it any props or anything like that because you're just being mean and nasty for no reason. I don't know what happened in that relationship for it to go sour and for him to react the way he did. But this is not the first time that he's reacted pettily towards, towards, towards other women. He's done it with Sierra. He's done it with his countless baby mothers. He's done, he's done it with so many women. And so it just makes me want to know, why does he hate women so much? Like, he's the one who impregnates them. They should be hating him with, with so much veracity. But somehow, they all find a way to move on. I mean, is it the child support payments? Because if it is, that's his fault. No one told you to not wear a condom. No one told you to not have sex with these women. I mean, they were your girlfriends at one point, granted, but no one told you to go raw dog or anything like that. You knew what you were getting into when you were dating those women. So I don't know. I don't know if it's child support. I don't know if, that, if that's just the way he was raised. But either way, it's not cool. And, like, I'm not crazy about Lori Harvey. I think it's more her, her, her mom that I'm not cool with. And don't even get me started on Steve Harvey, the biggest simp next to Derek Jackson. He's he's a coon in, in every sense of the word, but there's no reason to, to be reacting this way. Like you are you are future. You're a multi platinum rapper. You literally have your pick of any woman that you choose to date, and yet you choose to harp on harp on past relationships that have nothing to do with you anymore. I can understand if you are talking about a past relationship and a song and how much it hurt you and everything like that, and and how you've had to rebuild yourself up. Through, through through any means, so whether it's like an Adele or whomever, then cool, yeah, even in rap, it's totally fine. But when you're taking pot shots at your ex-girlfriend, your ex-girlfriend, who's like 15 years younger than you, by the way, ew, 
and 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 this is what you're you're you're, you're reducing it to. I mean, you're the one, if if you're calling her a gold digger or whatever. I mean, you're the one who's enabling it by talking about I put baguettes on her ankles and look at all these jewels and da 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 da, da and all that stuff. I don't know, man. Like these generational rappers, they confuse you sometimes. They say they hate gold diggers, yet they talk about how much money they have. They have the money phone to their ear. They have all these jewels, all these tats on their body that cost hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars if you add them all up together. Talking about, you know, a rich lifestyle, rocking Balenciaga from head to toe. And yet you want to talk about how you hate gold diggers, but you say how you can take a, a stripper out of the strip club and you can fund her whole life for her. But I don't know. Like, there's a disconnect. I'm not excusing the, the women who are into gold digging, but the rappers who 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 enable it and who endorse it, but then f- go on the flip side and hey, I hate gold diggers or I hate the, the 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 these bees out here for being gold diggers. Like you're enabling it, so like I don't know what it is. I don't know if that's the reason why she's getting it, why he's getting at Lori Harvey or whatever. But either way, he sounds like a fuckboy. I'm sorry, he sounds like a fuckboy. And anyone who like internalizes his music and wants to be like him, I feel bad for you. But nonetheless, he's getting the Wankster of the Week. He's always been a Wankster. This is not the first time I've named him the Wankster of the Week. In fact, the first ever Wankster I gave was to Future when I think it was more towards Future's dad (laughs) who thought Emmett Till was a football player and got him confused with Emmett Smith and knew nothing about the the atrocities that happened to Emmett Smith or Emmett Till, uh, rather. And it's saddening because of the fact that they're from the South. The South. But anyways, that's either here nor there. Um, Future, you're getting the wanks of the week. Do you deserve this wanks? Of course you do. And with that said, people, that wraps it up for yet another edition of Cool Radio. I want to thank you all for tuning in, as you always do. Uh, We will have more episodes in the future, so keep it locked. I will definitely... Uh, keep you informed on what the topics will be, as well as if we have any possible guests that are going to be lined up uh, in the future as well. So once again, I am your host, DM Cool, and Cool Radio is a division of Cool Click Media and Entertainment, reminding you each and every day that we are out here creating our own legacies. Keep it gravy and wavy. We out of here. Peace. Cool.